0: Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you to everybody who played tonight. Y'all do a fantastic job. Y'all are really good, aren't you? Is my family picture up there yet? There we go. Tonight, Tommy asked me to come to you and talk to you about, yes, smoking hot wife, right? I hate that when youth pastors do that all the time. They're the worst. This is my smoking hot wife, Liz. You know, so uh, anyway, Tommy asked me to come here tonight and speak to you about Jacob Rachel and Leah, which I was excited to, to talk about because my best friend from middle school, high school, and through college, who i roomed with here, his name is Jacob. While we were here at UGA, he dated a girl named Rachel, and right now he is married to a girl named Leah. So, I'm excited to bring this message to you. My wife asked me, please, because she was saying, what are you you thinking about going, what angle are you going to take this lesson? I was like, it's obvious. How to marry well. Five tips on how to marry well and who not to marry. And she was like, you know, that is so cliche for the college. Do not take this message to college students. It's so cliche. They've heard the relationship advice a thousand times. Well, guess what? Our babysitter had the flu. She can't be here. So you're going to get some tips. On how to marry well tonight and who not to marry. Really, it's just some key applications. Most of them meet at the meat of the text in there. But this is my family. This is Liz, my smoking hot wife, right? Uh, let's see, going from uh, oldest to youngest. This girl right here, Katie Scarlet. John Thomas on the far side, Rosie Beth, and then Samuel. Poor Samuel. He didn't get two names, just Samuel. But that's my family. I'm not in that, actually, because the week that, I, that they were there... I got to go to Norway, so I was actually in Norway when they were there, so there's me uh, in my favorite spot in there. Thank you. Let's let's applaud for Norway. Yes. I've been trying to go to Norway since I was called in the ministry. For some reason, I felt like I'm going to do ministry in Norway, and God just put this trip together, and there there I am in Trondheim, Norway. Uh, I want to put a bug in y'all's ears since I've, since I've got you captive, and you have to listen to me for at least the next, like, 35 minutes, is that so oftentimes in mission, people feel called to mission. And what they have in mind is people with darker skin than themselves. Which, by the way, God loves everybody and every skin color. Amen. But we have an idea. I don't know how we got infected with this. But we have this idea in missions, some of us, that only poor people are the people that need the gospel. Some of y'all just thought about that for the first time. Some of you have this idea that the gospel goes primarily to poor people. They're the ones who need it more than the rich folks. This country right here is per capita one of the richest countries on earth. These people, here's a little trivia about Norway. They have something called the Sovereign Wealth Fund where back in the 50s and 60s, Norway, they found oil off their coast. Wee. Usually when countries find oil, here's a little geopolitical trivia for you. When countries find oil, it's terrible for the country because the people at the top are like, sweet, we're going to take all the oil. And they hoard it all, and then their country's a third world population, and the people at the top get super rich. Norway, everybody there was just poor fishermen, so they're like, you know what? Let's split the pot. So they decided... We're going to take all the oil money, and we're going to invest it. And once we invest it, we're going to call it the Sovereign Wealth Fund, and it's for all of Norwegians. And then we can just split it up amongst all the citizens. At this moment right now, if Norway wanted to just disperse the Sovereign Wealth Fund, if they're like, man, just, let's just give it all the way to the citizens, every citizen in Norway would have $350,000 in their savings account right now. They do not think that they need God. They have no desire for the gospel. And this is a historic place that was a a beacon of light. That was a, a furious flame for the gospel in years past. But rich people. They don't have the gospel. And we think for some reason. It's only for those poor impoverished people in Africa. And Central and South America. And Oceania. And Southeast Asia. I'm just putting a bug in your ear. For those of you who are like. I'm going on missions. One of the most unreached places. In the entire world. Is now continental Europe. The place where Christianity. Prospered. And became this great system. That conquered the world. And advanced human rights. Women's rights what have you, that is the place where the gospel is the most needed now. I'm just putting the bug in y'all's ear. If you got missions in mind, don't forget Scandinavia. I don't know uh, how that fits into this lesson at all, but I'm so glad that y'all got to listen to my diatribe about Norway. All right, tonight we're talking about, oh, let's see, what what else do I need to do for my introduction? I used to do a college ministry at Beach Haven. That was really fun. (laughs) Uh, Those of you who uh, are here that know me, I love you. Those of you who I don't know you, I love you anyway by like the transitive property. God bless you. You're wonderful people. And um, so tonight, Tommy has asked me to speak to you about Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. The last caveat before I start is this. My theology, I like to call it bone-in theology. We are a chicken nugget and boneless wing generation. And we want our meat off the bone, filleted, easy to consume. But let me tell you, when you cook something with the bones in it, it's richer. There's more vitamins. It tastes better. And doggone it, it's just better looking. So I am a bone-in-theology Tonight, you'll hear some things that might make you uncomfortable, but guess what? It's because the bones stay in there. There are bones in the Bible, and I'm not going to fillet this book for you. All right? So get ready. You might feel uncomfortable, but that's bone-in theology for you. All right, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah, who are these rascals? Let me tell you. Tonight, if you hear anything I have to say, hear this, that things are often not as they appear to be. Things are often, they're, they're not as they appear. And in this story, we're going to see that very clearly. I love these old Western movies. I love old Western movies. Who knows who John Wayne is? Good, okay. This is I did this on campus at another spot. and People were like, I don't know John Wayne. There's, oh, backslidden fo- okay, y'all know John Wayne. Good job. Do you know who Clint Eastwood is? Yeah. Thank you. All right, this is... This is cream of the crop right here. These old Western movies, they started this tradition long time ago. This is basically back in the 20s when they first started making old Western films. They're black and white, and so they had to give you a chance. When there's all this tussling and, you know, someone's hopping on the train and people are fighting and lassoing and whatever, you got to see who the good guy is and who the bad guy is because in a black and white film, they're all just jumbled together. And so what they decided was, well, all the good guys... They're going, to wear, they're going to wear white cowboy hats, and all the bad guys, we're going to give them black cowboy hats. That way, you can tell who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Also, symbolically, it just makes sense that white, okay, these guys are pure, and black, these guys, have some, some, some kind of sin in them that they have unresolved. So, white hats, good guys, black hats, bad guys. Things are not how they seem, though. Things are are not how they appear to be oftentimes. We in our life, we want heroes to have the white hats. We want to know who the white hat is because that's the person we want to pull for. And I need to tell you something. Things are often not as they appear. And you're going to get mixed up between who wears a white hat and who wears a black hat. And in the story you're about to see, you ain't going to figure out who has a white hat on and who has a black hat on. If you will join me in the book of Genesis, chapter 29, I'm going to start in verse 10. Genesis 29, I'm going to start in verse 10. Here's the backstory: Jacob has fled. If you remember a a little bit ago, did someone talk to you all about Jacob and Esau and Isaac? Did you go over that story? Okay, cool. This is in the aftermath of that, that deception. Jacob the deceiver. Now he's fleeing. And he's go to Haran or Haran, however you like to say it. And he's all of a sudden, he's in the land where his uncle should be living. And he happens to meet his cousin at the well. Okay, here is verse 10. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and he wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was also Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass, when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. This is a great family reunion. Isn't that right? Uh, Things are not often not as they seem, though. Things may not be as good as they seem. Look at this. Here's, a, here's some hints in the text, all right? It's not going as good as it sounds. Back up to verse 1 with me, all right? Look at the top of the chapter, verse 1. Check this out. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Say east. Do you think geography was the point of this? Or do you think there may be something more to the biblical story than just geography? thank you. There's definitely something more. So a difference here, in American literature, you guys know this, if a character is described as going north, usually that means that this character is on an upward journey, that something is improving. And you all know that when things go south, that means things are going pretty bad, okay? Not so in Hebrew literature. Not so. In Hebrew literature, south is great, And north is really bad. Here's why. In their belief, the competing gods, the evil forces of the world, they're all from the north. And all the political enemies, they come from the north. Even the Babylonians, even the Persians, they have to come from the north because of the Fertile Crescent. Y'all remember this in some kind of like class in school, the Fertile Crescent, right? All right. Even the people from Babylon, they can't just go west to get Israel. You have to go up and down from the north. North is really bad. Say bad. bad. When I say north, you say bad. North. Bad. North. Bad. Yeah, you great southern people. I love you. All right, but another, another directional change is that west is traditional and east is where the pagans are from. He's going to the people of the east. In other words, he is no longer... In Yahweh-centric worship, he is no longer with the people that worship the one true God. He is going to live with the pagans. Y'all following me? Verse 1 sets it up. He's going to the people of the east. He is no longer in friendly theological territory. He is with the pagans. The people he with are pagans. The people he's going to live with are pagans. The people he's going to try to marry are pagans. The people he thinks are going to take care of them are actually pagans. It's not going to go very good for Jacob. Here's another hint. Verse 10. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban. By the way, this is his cousin, When he saw this lady and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, they keep emphasizing that for some reason, I don't know why, that Jacob went and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Look at verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he, check this out, was her father's relative. Aren't we just talking about that? And that he was Rebekah's son. This is the most redundant rascal in the entire world. Look at verse 14. And Laban said to him, surely, you are my bone and my flesh, Jacob the deceiver. And he stayed with him a month. These verses, they're telling you more than just we're related. This redundancy is on purpose to give you a hint. Jacob, not only related to Laban, Jacob is like Laban. We are related in the way we act. We are related in our quality. Just as Jacob is a deceiver, so Laban is a deceiver. This is not going good. Things are not always how they appear to be. This seems like this could turn out very quickly like a hallmark. You know, channel original Christmas movie. It's about to be soap opera. Join with me in verse 15. I'm going to read to verse 19. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Come on, tell me. What should your wages be? Is Laban being generous to him or is he setting him up? What do you think? It's okay to talk. He's setting them up. You got it. Thank you. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah's eyes were delicate. Some uh, translations might say dull. But Rachel, oh, this girl. She was beautiful of form and appearance. Let me tell you something. Things are not Always how they appear. Now, Rachel, Jacob, he loved Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years. I'm happy to do that for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. That is a perfect non committal answer, by the way, from someone who's a con man. Sure, I mean, it's better I give her to you, right? not going to commit to anything, but stay with me. Sure, let's go. Jacob loves Rachel. Based on what, guys? Yeah. I like you because, I mean, you know, you, you got Instagram and TikTok kind of qualities to you. Like, this is, <laughs> I like that in you. You know, I met you down at the well when I knew that, like, you know, I found out you're my cousin. So that's like something we have in common, right? Like family. So we got lots in common. I'm even, I'm even like your dad, so like you know, if you have like a father figure thing, like I'm like him, so <laughs> come on, we got all kinds of stuff in that, you know. He loves Rachel based on squat. Let me tell you something. men I'm talking to you. are there any men in the room? Yeah. Rise up, oh men of God, are you come on, are there any men in the room? All right, come on. <laughs> I' would hope somebody barked. That was good.. <laughs> Man, this is for you. Pretty women will get you in trouble if you are not careful. Man, you better guard your heart. Guard your eyeballs. You will get in trouble if you are not careful. Jacob sees two options, and he says, I'm going to go for the younger, prettier one. No other qualities. That's enough for him. Honestly, I'm going to tell you right now, he could have chose either one. He's going to get in trouble. But he chooses the even worse option. Proverbs 31 says this, by the way. Charm is deceitful and beauty fades. Somebody say amen. Amen. Beauty fades. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Men, guard your hearts. Guard your eyeballs. Women, are there any ladies in here? (laughs) Let's give a hand for the ladies. Come on, folks. All right. Well done. Well done. You were, you were born that way. Well done. All right. Here's the bad side. Here's the tough side. Here's the tough side. Beauty fades. Let that sink in. That's tough. Beauty it's not an if. I'm telling you, it's a win, ladies. You got to develop some other qualities in your life. Here's where my wife was like, "This is going to be cliche." I don't care. You need to do. You need to know. You've got to get this right, ladies. Develop every part of what a woman should be, so that you can have the best life possible for yourself for your spouse, for your children, for your extended family. Beauty fades, but a woman who loves the Lord, she will be praised. Develop every part of your personality, of your soul, of your devotion to God, of who you can be, of what you can do with your hands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Be more than just Instagram and TikTok because that time is coming to an end. Now for the fun stuff. All right, cool. So, life with Rachel, I promise you, is not going to turn out as good as Jacob hopes it will. Look with me in verse 20. So, Jacob served. Oh, he's made a deal with this uh, this two-timer Laban. Let's see how it works out for him. So, Jacob served seven years for Rachel. For who? Rachel. Oh, <laughs> And they seemed, oh, but for him, they only seemed like just a few days because he loved, the love he had for her. By the way, the word love that keeps propping up in here is a very broad term in Hebrew that can mean everywhere from I am totally committed to you in a romantic way like me and my smoking hot wife, Liz, all the way to this side of the spectrum that just means like lust, all right? So (laughs) it can mean anywhere in between. And it keeps popping up. But, I mean, Jacob, he was like, I'll work seven years for that lady right there. Seven years. And for seven years he worked. He was just like, man, this ain't no time. I ain't worried about it. I'm going to get that lady. I'm not worried about the work. This is fantastic. Not worried about it. Things are not always how they appear to be. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. For my days are fulfilled. I did what I said I would do to you. Right? Seven years work. And then I get the woman of my dreams. I've done my work. Give me my wife. For my days are fulfilled. That I may go into her. And Laban gathered together. All the men of the place. And he made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening. That he took Leah his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. Jacob worked for who? Rachel. Who? Rachel. Who did Laban bring to Jacob? Leah. Her eyes were dull, not impressed. He took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And Laban gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter, Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning, in the morning, that behold, it was Leah. Seven years, and it was nothing, because at least I get this smoking hot wife, Rachel. And behold, in the morning, I married Leah. Jacob set himself up because, get this, he did not know Rachel. Got me? He knew her face. He knew her body. He knew Instagram, and he knew TikTok. He had no idea about her Twitter feed. Shout out Elon Musk. I'm just kidding. But he had no idea about her habits He had no idea what her voice was like. He had no idea how this lady thought or acted. There's no voice in the tent. There's no habits that are recognizable. There's just a person. It's imaginable. I think it's Rachel. Let's go. Here is a major key alert. Before you get married... You need to know the person you're marrying. Listen to my words carefully. Don't put any end windows in there. You need to know the person you're marrying. Amen? Amen. Let's go to major key alert number two. You need to understand their family. I didn't say you need to like their family. And I didn't say their family has to like you, although, major key alert, 2A, that would be really good for your marriage, by the way. You need to at least understand the family, because Jacob, even though he's a part of the family, he does not get them. By the way, they're the people in the where? East. You better understand family before you try to marry into it. Major key alert number 3. You need to keep marriage after the wedding. Now, if you read in this text, I'm reading between the lines here and I'm kind of maybe this is this is bad biblical scholarship a little bit. I'm reading things in between the lines and taking things that aren't there to say, well, this didn't happen. But follow me. Jacob not Jacob, not Rachel, not Leah, not a single one of them showed up to a wedding ceremony. Let's read that again. Verse 22. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. He gathered all the who? Interesting. And then it came in the past in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter. Not anybody showed up to a wedding ceremony. Again, our ceremonies are different than you know, doggone three centuries B.C. in the ancient Near East. Of course, they weren't married in distressed, you know, old you know barn things and with shiplap and you know what's that? Uh, what's that little like uh, yarny kind of things that you put around the mason jars with the candle on them? What's that? Uh, Burl out, baby. Yeah, that stuff. Right. They they're not doing all this, of course, they don't have the same conventions we do, but nobody showed up to actually get married. It was this this word for feast, by the way, can just mean drinking party. And Laban said, Let's go, and he invited all the men of the area for a drinking party. And after they were good and drunk, he was able to usher Jacob with the beer goggles firmly on his face into the tent at dark, and then usher, shh, don't say a word, Leah, and get her in there, and there's nothing that Jacob could have figured out, because he got married before he even went to his own wedding, get what I'm saying, okay, Jacob, here he is, he's entangled with Laban in business, yeah, y'all are probably too young for that, I guess, If you're going to understand your family, don't get entangled in business affairs with your potential father-in-law if they're not going to be your father-in-law. You understand what I'm saying? He is entangled in business, by the way, seven years at this point, business, with this guy who is an absolute trickster. And he has also smitten emotionally for Rachel. He, He doesn't even know. Again, men, you better guard your heart and guard your eyeballs. He is smitten and he's like a slave to this girl. And he's happily to volunteer seven years of his life just to be with this girl. Jacob is an idiot. I need you to understand this. He has no white hat. Jacob is dumb. Why? I don't know why you would volunteer seven years of your life for this lady. So I mean, she must be Helena Troy or something. Do not get married before your wedding. Jacob is entangled with Laban emotionally tied to Rachel. He's not even married to her yet, and he thinks he's already got to act like he is. The major key alert here, don't miss this, don't get married to someone before your wedding. Some of you heard me say, don't have sex until you're married. That's a really good idea too. What I said was, don't get married to someone until your wedding. That's a whole lot more. Some people, they have this idea of dating that you are supposed to basically act like you're married until you get married. And that you are supposed to be emotionally tied to someone until you get married. And that's why people go through these painful, terrible breakups. And that's why people who think, I have to know this person, this is what the world thinks. You told me, Michael, know this person before you get married. So what we should do, we should split, you know, we should split an apartment. We have to get a dog. I don't know why everybody goes for the dog. I don't know. You don't have to get a dog with anybody. In fact, I emphasize, don't get, this is just my scruples. It's not in the Bible. Don't get a dog with a doggone potential partner. Don't do that. You are setting yourself up for a bunch of heartache. And the dog. Think of the dog, dog. I mean, come on, don't do this. People get entangled in a web of stuff that's hard to break, but they're not committed before the marriage. Did you hear what I said? People get entangled, business, feelings, sometimes the sex. The finances, on and on, career, I'm going to move with you to go do this career, so I'm changing my grad school because I want to be with you because we're going to start a family. Why? You don't know that. You're not married yet. Why would you make all these life-changing moves? You're not married. And then when the breakup happens, because guess what? Since you're not married, you're not committed. So even though you're entangled to death, you're not committed, so it's easy to break it all up, and then your life screwed up. I'm telling you guys, do not get married until your wedding. I didn't say, don't have sex until you're married. That's a great idea, by the way. On that screen over there, the oldest two people, by the way, the twins, they're a result from me not waiting until my wedding day to get married to my wife. Don't do that to yourself. I love those kids. I love them to death. But you want to talk about someone who aged 10 years in one year, me. From 25 to 26, I aged 10 years. I had gray on my beard. I had wrinkles on my face. I couldn't sleep, obviously, because we had twins to take care of. Good God. You want to talk about ending your life and the goals involved and absolutely putting a strain on your partner, of course, And your families get married before your wedding and see what happens. It's a bad idea. Through God's grace, good things can happen. By the way, as the Bible says, repent from your sins and turn to the Lord so that a season of refreshing can come. That's my favorite verse in the Bible. And you will be refreshed by turning from sin and turning to the Lord Jesus you will turn over your sin to Him and trust Him. Ask Him to change you. He does. And refreshing comes. And good things can come from your life. I'm up here by the grace of God. But I'm going to tell you, hardship is headed your way if you get married before your wedding day. You cool with that? Major key alert. You with me? Amen. Okay. Yeah, I got real serious. I told y'all. Bones in here. Verse 25. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. How, many time, how much time do I have, guys? <laughs> Y'all got sleeping bags in here? Where you go. I'm kidding. I'm really kidding. I'm kidding. We're almost to the end of the chapter. Almost to the end of the chapter. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is it that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said this. It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. We have to marry the firstborn first. It's just how we do in my country. Where are they, by the way? In the east. Bad news. Understand where you are. Understand the family you're trying to marry into and know who you're marrying. Save you a lot of heartache. Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. So you had to get Leah fulfill her week. And we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as wife also. And Laban gave his maid, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Jacob's in big trouble. He does not have a white hat on. He's an idiot. He wanted one woman. He's got four now, by the way. if You count the maids which he's going to use at the, the next chapter. He's got four women now. He wanted one. He didn't even want three of them. He's got three more. By the way, for anyone who has the idea that more women would be more fun, I have to tell you, this is going to be a disaster for Jacob. He is in big trouble. By the way, he wanted one of them based on looks. But things are not always... As they look. Here's the ultimate irony. Listen into this one. Take you back to this story of Jacob with Isaac and Esau. And Jacob is hoping to get the birthright from Esau, his elder brother. Got me? Remember this? So he goes to his dad who's blind, and he dresses up like his, his brother. And he fools his dad to give Jacob, the younger sibling, the birthright of the older sibling. And his dad, Isaac, blind, can't see the difference. So the younger gets the blessing that belonged to the older. Are you with me so far? Here, Laban goes to Jacob in the dark. Where he cannot see. And where. The younger. Was supposed to get. The blessing of marriage. The elder. Is put in her place. Do You follow what I'm saying here. Jacob deceives Isaac. For the elder brother rights. Jacob is deceived by Laban. For the elder sister's rights. Isaac was blind. To Jacob's deceit and Jacob was unable to see Laban's deceit. Rachel was chosen because of her looks, her appearance, but Jacob can't even see her, and so things are not always as they appear. The Bible is very ironic, and you cannot miss this chief irony in the text right there. Another major key. Jacob tried to flee from this sin, And it still found him out and got him. When you're trying to marry someone, you should be very, very, very interested in their past. A lot of people would say that's, you should not follow my advice. I don't care. Listen to my advice. I've been here. I was an expert in sexual sin before marriage. I know what happens when you're on that side of things. Be very interested in your potential spouse's past. And yes, that could include sexual past if you wanted to. Be very interested. I'm not saying come down and just, you know, things are done and you didn't live up to my standard of what I want because, you know, I just want, you know, I really just wanted Rapunzel up in a tower who's never even talked to a man in her whole life and pff, you you go to college with all kinds of people. you know, so, No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying be very interested to see do they have trauma that needs to be resolved and have they turned it over to the Lord or are they carrying this baggage around like it's a bad habit because if they are just fleeing a sin and they haven't resolved it trust me That sin's going to chase them down and find them. And you're going to suffer. Turn stuff over to the Lord. That's involving you as well. If there's something that you need to get resolved, something that is just bothering you, something that you need to just fix in yourself, you cannot do it on your own. Turn it over to the Lord and get it resolved. Confess your sins and turn them to God. And a season of refreshing will come. You can have a refreshing season. This thing, Harita, this is pretty good stuff, by the way. I love this. This is nowhere near as refreshing. That's a good youth ministry ceremony. It's nowhere near refreshing. Be refreshed and be very interested in how your potential spouse operates. Do they need to be refreshed? Encourage them to be refreshed. Be a part of the refreshing. In fact, you be refreshing to them. Got it? Your stuff in the past will find you out if you do not fix it, okay? the One to fix it is the one who fixed all our sins. You have that opportunity tonight, and I'll give you that invitation in just a little bit. Be very interested in someone's past if you're trying to be a part of their future. Okay. Man, this stuff was heavy. I'm sorry, guys. read one more verse for you. Verse 31. This is a long story and I'll I'll just tell you the rest of it. These people have lots of babies. By the way, in the old time, they don't have a lot of free time. I remember uh, one of my relatives in Thompson, Georgia, I think he had like 12 kids or something. And and, uh, I think one of the relatives at a family reunion asked him like, you know, like, What'd you have all these kids for? He's like, dude, we live in a one room, like, barn house together. We have no electricity. I mean, what do you think happens when the lights go out? You can't do anything. Of course, we have 12 kids. Come on. You, you people don't even live in the real world. You don't. You don't even live in the real world. Verse 31 says this When the Lord saw that Leah, was unloved. He opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. He gave Leah. Tons of children. And by the way. Half of the nation of Israel. Comes from Leah. The one who is supposed to be. Unloved. Those old western movies. They were really romantic. They're about love and they're about justice, and oftentimes they're about revenge. And so it's really cool to watch guys in white hats and black hats battle it out because you know who should be winning. The guys in the white hats, they deserve to win. The good stuff, it should be happening to them. i got to tell you something. The Bible is not an old Western movie. You ever seen this movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? All right, cool, all right. This has got to be one of my favorite movies, The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly. Is anyone an Office fan, The Office? Yeah. All right, so there's that scene in one, I forget what episode, but the scene in The Office where, like, you know, three of them are standoff. off. I know Pam's in the room. They're like, in the conference room. I think it's Michael. Is it—is it Andy Dwight? And, and Okay, and they got, like, the three-way standoff, right, you know? The Mexican standoff, as some people call it, but I, that's got to be way too insensitive. I don't know. So this this standoff was perfected it was made famous it's iconic in the good the bad and the ugly. I encourage you all if you have not seen that movie go see it. All right? Find it and watch that movie. One of the best directed movies of all time. The good in the movie, Clint Eastwood. His name's Blondie in the movie. I have to tell you, he's not good. Yes, gasp. He's not good. He's just like the bad, and he's just like the ugly. You just understand that he happens to be the protagonist in the plot. So you have a vested interest in making sure that he wins. He's not good. I have to tell you something. Jacob is not good. Jacob, by the way, is just like Laban. He's a deceiver. The Bible says this. In Hebrews, when it it, it looks back through all these great figures of the past in the Old Testament, and they walk through people like Abraham and Jacob, people like Rahab, and they call these people heroes of the faith, and they tell you to believe like they believed, to trust like they trusted. They never, you are never told in Scripture to behave, to act like these people. You are told to believe like they believed. You are, these are models of faith. They are never models of behavior. Jacob is an idiot. When I get to heaven, Lord willing, I will find Jacob and tell him, dude, you suck. You are awful. There are many other people, and guess what they will tell me? You too, you idiot. So, you know, of course, believe as these people believed don't behave like them, Jacob is a rascal. Jacob deserved discipline. Here is the major of all keys for this text. Jacob deserved discipline. He didn't deserve a birthright, but the blessing was his from God. There was no love for Leah, but God gave her more children than Rachel. Rachel didn't deserve a husband but Jacob loved her more than Leah Lisa Harper says this there is no deservedness in the economy of God God works on a principle called grace which is that you get better than what you deserve I love my children. If I was to dole out justice for them tit for tat they'd never get a meal. They wouldn't even sleep in the house. They'd have no new shoes and they'd have to work in a factory six days a week to pay me rent and utilities. But they don't do that and they will never will because I love those rascals. And they get better than they deserve. What you should find out Jacob, Rachel, and Leah is simply this. I'll say it in two ways. One, God is totally fine drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. I'll put it this way God simply loves his family and he takes care of them. The question I have for you now is this Are you in that family? I think so, because, you know, I do a lot of good things, and, you know, I have a habit of at least trying to come to BCM or a church. I grew up doing these things. Things are not always as they appear. There's no hope for me, or I don't think this is just for me. It's not really my scene. I don't know if I can even trust to get involved with this, because... I have some of this past that you're preaching against or I don't know if I even fit with anybody who could wear a white hat or I like the black hat. Look, let me tell you something. Things are not how they always appear to be. God graciously refreshes us when we confess our sin and turn them over to God. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this week's message, share it with a friend. To stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram at UGABCM. We hope to see you next Monday night at Gathering.